Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a brand new message. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. Amen. Well, hey, why don't you uh, find your seat this morning? You're like, I don't know who this guy is, but it's interesting today. Uh, for those of you who are new in these parts, my name is Brett, and uh, I don't go here. But I, uh, I pastor a church called Saints Church uh, here in Edmonton and in uh, Parkland County out Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, and uh, lead something called the Engaged Network, of which Kingdom Church is a part. It's a family of churches, uh, and uh, we love multiplying churches, seeing new churches built and established, and uh, it's been a privilege to walk with you from day one, from the very beginning, and I have to say, I'm always... Every time I come, I'm so proud uh, of you as a church family. I'm so proud of what God is doing here. And I just want to encourage you to keep going, to keep leaning in, to dive into his presence, and to recognize the season that we are in as a church, the big church, which is a radical shaking of church. And this is an opportunity where you get to put your roots down and let your roots grow down deep into him and into his presence. And uh, I want to encourage you to do that. And this is a great church to do that in. And uh, we're so, we love uh, Pastor Harrison, Pastors Harrison and Christy so much. And come on, baby Judah. Who's not here? But Pastor Harrison, by some miracle, is here. And, uh, you know, he can't really string together a sacrifice of praise. It's mostly just mumbles uh, from a lack of sleep. But that's fine. That's fine. Uh, what, what I want to do today is I want to give you 10 things, okay, 10 thoughts. And um, what we're going to do is we want to wrestle with the tension of how do I believe for something versus I'm going to wish for something. Okay, because there is this tension that exists between those two thoughts. And oftentimes we can find ourselves uh, living in the midst of, I believe in, uh, you know, uh, living in this tension of like, I'm, I believe for this thing. I believe God wants to do this thing for me, but we don't know how to activate it. We don't know how to activate our faith. We don't know how to participate with God in that. And also uh, we just kind of end up hoping and wishing and dreaming. And there's nothing wrong with hope and there's nothing necessarily wrong uh, with, with wishing or, or you know wanting something to happen. But the truth is there is so much more for us than just uh, downgrading our spiritual journey with Jesus to wishing on something. Okay, we believe in someone, we don't wish for something. Okay, and so we're going to wrestle with these 10 things, and I hope you're going to take notes today. And what I've done is I've not put any of the Bible verses actually in full verses on the screen. It's just going to be a thought and the references. You can write them down. We might not even hit all of them because, let's be honest, I'm going to get caught up with one of these points, and it's going to take way too long, and then you're like, we're going to have to power through, and it's going to be, it's going to be great. But we're going to start in, in the book of Proverbs, okay? We're going to start in the book of Proverbs. I'm just going to read this to you. You can just take it in. Uh, we need, who needs some wisdom today? Anyone need some wisdom today? We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 16. Uh, it says, we make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. I mean, we could probably just go home right after that. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. 
The Lord has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. Unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. By fearing the Lord, people avoid all evil. Now, I'm just going to highlight this verse for all you like Bible nerds. I don't know if we have any Bible nerds like me in the room. Uh, and I, I just want to show you, sometimes I think there's a narrative that goes, you know, I like the New Testament, but the Old Testament's got a lot of issues and we, we got to, you know, we're, we wrestle through some of these things. Like, I don't know that I can find Jesus there. Well, I can tell you, you just found Jesus in the middle of wisdom literature. Why? Because it says this in 16.6, it says, unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. If you fast forward to John chapter 1, verse 14, you will find that Jesus is described by John the Baptist as unfailing love and faithfulness. So when it says that Solomon here writes that unfailing love and faithfulness makes atonement for sin, what he's actually pointing to without or maybe entirely realizing in the moment, is he's pointing forwards to Jesus because the nature of Jesus, who is Jesus, is unfailing love and faithfulness. It's Jesus who makes atonement for sin. So what I get out of this is right in the midst of the greatest advice, you still need Jesus. Solomon was the wisest man to walk the face of the earth, and it doesn't matter the best advice that you can get, the best ideas that you can find, the best ideology that you can track down. There is still a need for the unfailing love and faithfulness of Jesus, and only Jesus can make us right. Verse 7, when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. Better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. And we can make our own plans, but the Lord determines our steps. I'm going to keep going. Verse 11, the Lord demands accurate scales and balances. He sets the standards for fairness, not you, by the way. Lord, it's not fair, said every person praying ever. And he's like, really? Verse 20, those who listen to instruction will prosper. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. Those who trust the Lord will be joyful. Now, this is, we're setting the stage in the context before we get into these 10 things, but this is going to be the fuel that keeps you going. There's a joy that's found in trusting Jesus, but notice that it doesn't say that, there is th- that those who have perfect circumstances are joyful. It doesn't say that those who uh, have everything that goes right at just the right time, it all comes together, are joyful. Those who have a rich, richly developed network of contacts are joyful. That's not what it says. It says, those who trust in the Lord will be joyful. So trusting in Jesus creates in us, or has the potential to create in us, a set of emotional circumstances that lead us to contentment and to peace and that are fueled by joy. We talk about, you know, the peace that surpasses all understanding or peace that doesn't make sense. This is, I think, the definition of joy that doesn't make sense. Those who trust in the Lord, meaning who, who trusts in the Lord the most? Those who are in a desperate circumstance. So in the midst of your des- desperate circumstance, when you magnify Jesus, when you make him big, there's joy that is found there. Verse 24, something that we're all missing right here. Count, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. We're all living in a day and age where everyone's using the internet voice out loud right now. Verse 32, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. We may throw the dice, 
but the Lord determines how they fall. You still tracking with me today? So we got 10 things. This is how do I believe for something versus what it looks like when I wish for something. Okay, so here's the first thought. And it's really more of a question that's going to set the framework. Is your hope in Jesus or is it in the thing that you're trusting or believing for, that you're hoping for? Is your hope in Jesus or is your hope in the thing that you're hoping for, wishing for, believing for? This is the most important question that you could ask yourself. And the only way that I could paint this analogy or tell this story right is, is by calling your attention to the Edmonton Oilers 50-50. Has anyone noticed how large that sum of money is? Recently, now you can buy it at home and you don't have to go to the game. And so you're like, okay, so you're watching the Oilers game and maybe you're there or maybe you're watching it on TV and you see that amount of money and you're like, okay, I could do a lot with this amount of money. And so you start watching the game and you buy one ticket or 10 or 15 or 200, however many tickets you purchase. And you're like, man, and you start dreaming about all the things that you would do with that money. You're like, first of all, I'm buying a new vehicle immediately. I'm first of all telling you that's maybe not the first thing that you should be doing. You know, you're like, I'm going to go on this vacation. I'm going to go to this thing. I'm going to do this. And then as the second period wears on and you're, you're moving closer and closer to the cutoff and the deadline, all of a sudden the tone of your thoughts starts to change and you actually move from like, man, this is all the awesome things that I could do to actually praying. And you're like, okay, Lord. I know that there's 20,000 other people that are praying this prayer right now. But I go to kingdom church. And I just believe that maybe, uh, you know, Lord, here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna do, Jesus. If this money comes through, I'm gonna give at least a portion of it to you. And you wanted to say half, but it was just too much. But can I just be honest with you? If you don't give now, you won't give then. So is your hope in Jesus, or is it in that thing that you're hoping for, wishing for, dreaming for? Number two. This is how we differentiate. We take it to the Lord daily. We take that thing to the Lord daily. We bring it to him uh, in surrender. Jesus, I give you this thought, this idea, this dream. I bring it to you. May it be in alignment with what you have for me, what your plans, what your purposes are for me. You know, Psalm 127 one says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer toils in vain. You could have the greatest dream in the world, but if it's your idea and not God's idea, it's just going to bring you a discontent, frustration, and a, and a lot of hurt. So I, I take it to the Lord daily instead of daydreaming about the good thing. It's just changing my posture. There's nothing wrong about having a dream or, or, or thinking about, man, I would go on this vacation, one of those things. But what dominates your thoughts? Is it the escape? Or is it Jesus himself? So I take it to the Lord daily. I take that thing to the Lord daily. See, we, we, we spend so much time thinking about the good thing that we, we forget that we're on the greatest benefits plan that there ever is. In Psalm 103, uh, verse 2, it says, Forget not his benefits. You're like, but what would benefit me more is a vacation. Listen, you need rest, but the destination can't heal your soul. Luke 9, 23, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross 
daily and follow me. Number three, see, we're going fast. Take someone on the journey instead of waiting in silence. Here's what I mean by that. You need to invite somebody into your faith journey. And we do this for a couple reasons. We do it for, number one, encouragement. Because everybody needs somebody that says you're doing a good job and you're going to make it. We have underestimated the power of a well-placed, well-timed word of encouragement. Kind word. What does it say here? It says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. So do you have somebody in your life, somebody in your corner who's going to bring some encouragement, who's going who's gonna to stir some things up? Do you have somebody that you can say, listen, this is what I'm believing for. This is what I'm hoping for. This is what, this is what I'm praying for. Do you have somebody who's going to say, you know what, I can agree with you. I can agree with you. I can agree with you in faith. We're going to join our hearts together. We're going to join our faith together. We're going to say, you know what, we're going to believe for this together. And they're going to encourage you. But what they're also going to do is they're going to bring some accountability to that situation. Hey, so I don't think that that thing that you're praying for is actually what you're praying for. Sounds to me like you're asking God for a new job. But what you're really looking for is purpose. So you need someone who can speak those things. You know, there's that scripture that we all like to quote, talking about like iron sharpens iron, and we all quote it about our friends. And we all like it until we realize that literally iron sharpening iron looks like sparks. Which sparks are like a small form of fire, by the way. <laughs> they still hurt. It still hurts. Sometimes you need somebody to say, listen, that's a really bad idea. And you've got a really bad attitude on top of it. Because... All <laughs> Proverbs, there's a proverb that talks about the wounds of a friend. There's a value in the wounds of a friend. Now, this is what I do. To, to, to set some of my understanding, and this is really a framework that I like to use in my life, uh, I, I like to look at the Apostle Paul. If you think about the Apostle Paul, uh, he wrote most of the New Testament, uh, prolific evangelist, started churches across the known world. And there's a few things that I like to, I really, really like uh, that really highlight uh, the journey of following Jesus. And if you look at the Apostle Paul, first of all, uh, he had all these grand plans to go to all these places. But every once in a while, he would run into what the Bible would describe as a closed door, where he, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, he's literally about to set sail, get on a boat. And it doesn't tell us the parameters. It doesn't tell us what led to it. But he just knew that there was a closed door. So instead of doing what most of us do and kicking down the door, he goes, you know what? I'm not going there. I'm being redirected. There's, there's, there's an understanding that comes, and this is why you need someone to help you discern it. There's an understanding or a level that comes in your life where you understand that a closed door is simply that, a closed door, and it's a divine redirection. Immaturity says, I'm going to believe my way through the door. And there are times where you need to fight and you need to push through. But you got to seek the Lord first. That's why we take it to him daily. So that he can give us the direction. Now, if you look at the Apostle Paul's life, uh, every believer needs these three things. And I'm hoping you're writing this down today. You need a Barnabas, you need a Silas, and you need a Timothy. You're like, I don't know what that means. I'll tell you. So when Paul got uh, saved, when he had this life-transforming moment, nobody wanted to touch him with a 10-foot pole because, I don't know, he murdered their friends and family. 
right? He organized these mass murder events where they would stone people uh, in groups for following Jesus. He was a radical uh, zealot. He was passionate about preserving the old ways. And, and so he would literally hold people's coats. And he was such a genius mastermind that he would hold coats while other people did the dirty work for him. So he has this life-altering transformation moment with Jesus where Jesus is like, listen, what are you doing? And nobody wants to come near him except for this guy named Barnabas, older gentleman. Barnabas's name literally means son of encouragement. He's like, I got this. He just comes into his life, and I'm guessing by his name that he did a lot of encouraging. He spoke a lot of uplifting things. He, he had to direct and redirect. And because of Barnabas, it actually gave Paul access to places that he wasn't able to go. I don't, well, I don't know who this is for in here right now, but you're trying to get into places that, that you alone cannot get into and you need somebody else and it's gonna be their credibility, their experience that's gonna lead you and open up the door for you, but it only comes out of a deep place of relationship and trust. And you need to give that person enough voice in your life so that when you're going the wrong way, they can correct you and your relationship's still okay. Everyone needs a Barnabas. Everybody needs a Silas. Silas was his peer, somebody who he did it ministry with. He did life with. They were on a similar level. They, they went and they did the same things. And there's a different relationship that happens peer to peer. So if we're going to use like familial connections, we could say Barnabas was kind of like a spiritual father and, and Silas was like a spiritual brother. Somebody who's on the same place, the same place you're tracking uh, in the same way. And then there's Timothy. Everybody needs a Timothy who is an apprentice, somebody who's learning, someone who you're raising up and you're developing. You're like, listen, I'm 21 years old. Who can I be developing? I just need to remind you that spiritual uh, maturity and age don't coexist. And if your heart is, I'm going to follow someone, I'm going to walk with someone who can lead me and give me a voice as a father, I'm going to have a peer that's in my life, then I'm going to look behind me, I'm going to look at who's next. And go, hey, I can, I can give you what I have and I can just help you along in the next way. I can, I can help you make good decisions. Psalm 37.5 says, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him and he will help you as you're helping somebody else. It is amazing the clarity that comes in your own life when you're serving somebody else. It's funny because you give somebody else advice, but you're actually just giving yourself advice. And you're like, oh, why did it make so much more sense when it was Harrison saying and not my thing? Because you're not emotionally invested in the same way. Your ego's not involved. Anyways, number four. Seek the Lord instead of his hand. Seek Jesus instead of what he can do for you. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. We seek the person of Jesus, not what he can do for us. And it's amazing that when you have a personal relationship with Jesus, how he takes care of the things that we need. You still with me? Number five, active listening. 
This is what I mean by that. We take the ancient pathways of fasting and prayer and being in his presence instead of wishful thinking. So we can counteract. This is how I counterbalance this. I say active listening looks like this. It looks like me being intentionally in the presence of Jesus. It looks like me being close to him. It looks like me drawing near to him. It looks like me uh, asking his opinion and then waiting for an answer. Did you know that prayer is a two-way thing? It's a conversation. So the, the opposite of active listening is what I call active chatter. Have you ever prayed like that before? Dear Lord, uh, I'm here today, and to be honest, I have no idea what to say, but I feel like it's a good idea for me to be here today, and I want to thank you for the weather. Actually, it doesn't look great, so I'm just thankful that it's not worse, and uh, God, thank you for those things. And you just talk and you babble because you don't know what to say. What does it say here? It says, be still in the presence of the Lord. The prayer is a two-way street. It's a conversation that if you speak, someone else will listen. You know, I, I, love, I love watching awkward first dates. Anyone else? Like you go to a restaurant or a coffee shop and you see them sitting there and they don't know what to do. And they don't, know, they don't understand the flow of conversation yet because they're... They're just so strange and awkward. They live on the internet. And they're trying to talk to each other, and one person talks and dominates, and the other one can't say anything. It's just this really strange, awkward encounter. And there's something funny about that. And the funny thing about it is that's often what our prayer lives look like, that we can discover that there's a rhythm. We can learn how God speaks. One of the things that I like to do is I like to look back in my life at moments that I've been very clear, it's been very clear that the Lord has speak, spoken to me or, or made something happen. And I like to evaluate that and I like to look back and learn from it so that I can learn how the way, some of the ways that the Lord speaks to me. Let me give you an example. Is this all making sense to you? Yeah. One of the ways that I've discovered that the Lord speaks to me about locations for churches is that I get fixated on locations. So the very first church that we ever started or planted, whatever language you like to use, uh, was on the south side of Edmonton called the Church of South Edmonton. And I used to drive by this one building every single day. I would go out of my way to drive by it. I was like drawn to it like a magnet or like a moth to light, whatever. I would drive by it and I didn't know why. All I knew that there was this stirring inside of me and that I had to drive by that thing. I didn't realize those were the very beginning seeds of God saying, listen, I want you to do something here on the south side of Edmonton. When we moved to Spruce Grove, we were playing, praying between five communities and then went down to two. We're like, where do we start, which was Engaged Church, which is now uh, Saints Church, Glory Hills. And there's a building and it was in a theater and I would drive by an arts theater and I would drive around it. And no matter what I did, my route would always take me by there. One of the things that I've realized is that the Lord speaks to me uh, in that way. But I learned that by looking back. But now I have that in my toolbox when I'm moving forward. So there are things and patterns of how God speaks to you, and it's unique to you, as unique as your fingerprint is, is how he wants to speak to you, that you could actually look back on and go, oh, there's this constant pattern of Jesus speaking to me in this way. And once you learn that, you can incorporate that as a rhythm in how he's doing it.
okay? Uh, when we're talking about prayer and fasting, this is Matthew 6. When you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people would admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they'll ever get, looking grumpy. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Number six, prepare. I love this quote from William Booth, founder of Salvation Army. He says, work like it all depends on you. Pray like it all depends on God. Be diligent in every area that you can versus taking matters into your own hands. There's a tension between Doing everything that you can and versus taking matters into your own hands. The best example I can give you is King David. King David, the guy who killed Goliath, later described as a man after God's own heart. His desire, so he's living in this epic palace, right? He's one of the wealthiest kings that existed in that time, and his son Solomon went on to far exceed him. And he goes, listen, it's not okay that I live in this great place, but we worship God in a tent. That's not okay. And he seeks some advice. He even seeks advice from a prophet, and the prophet gets no other word. He's like, oh, yeah, seems like a reasonable, good idea. Plus, you pay my salary. So if you want to do that, let's do that. And then God speaks to David. He's like, no, you can't do that. Excuse me? You can't build me this temple because it needs to be built by the Prince of Peace who becomes the King of Peace, who's Solomon, as a type and a shadow of what Jesus would establish. And the reason he was given, you can find this at the end of 1 Chronicles, the reason was given was because David had too much blood on his hands. Now get this, another Bible moment for all us studiers. You would make an assumption that the blood on his hands was the blood of Uriah. If you're not familiar, David stayed at home when he should have been out at war, saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof next door. It's like, wow, I would like that in my life. And sends her husband out into war, pulls back the entire front line, and he effectively gets killed by the enemy, murdered in cold blood uh, through the strategy of David so that David could marry his wife. You would think that that's what disqualified David. That's not what disqualified David. Why? Because God forgave David for that. The blood on his hands that he was talking about was the blood on his hands through going to war as a king. Or, think about it in a different way, the blood on his hands that disqualified him from building the thing, that, the dream that he had in his heart was the purpose and the plan that God had for him as he fulfilled God's plans for Israel, he disqualified himself from his own dream. There are dreams that you carry in your heart right now that you are not intended to entirely fulfill, that you're, in you're intended to be the set of. So what did David do? He didn't build the temple. This is what David did. He bought every single piece of lumber, every nail, made every plan, hired every worker, did absolutely everything that he could do in his own power without building it so that all Solomon had to do was step into that position, step into the place and say, yep, 
let's go. David prepared everything. It could be that the dream that God has placed in your heart, you are there to prepare the way. Much like John the Baptist was there to prepare the way for Jesus and King David was there to prepare the way for Solomon. It is possible that there's things that you're believing for, that you're dreaming of, that are your heart's desire, that are not, that is not intended for you to carry out. But we can be diligent and we can work hard and we can make every preparation so that whoever comes next, so every Timothy in our life can step into the plan and purpose that God has for them. Number seven. Stay the course instead of jumping down every rabbit trail. There's a temptation when things aren't going your way to look every other direction. And somehow YWAM also gets included. It's like, I'm gonna go to YWAM. Things aren't working. Sir, you're 53 years old. You have a family, it's not made for you. Stay the course. Don't jump down the rabbit trail. Proverbs 3, verse 6. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Are we still okay? We're good? We got two more. We're on number eight. Ask for the strategy, but be open to change your approach. Ask for the strategy, but be open to change your approach. We're going to jump over to King David again. I'm going to go fast. I'm going to turn up the speed dial. This is 1 Chronicles 14. So David and his troops went up to Baal, Perizim, and defeated the Philistines there. God did it, David exclaimed. He used me to burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So they named that place Baal Perizim, which means the Lord bursts through. That is an epic name. That is an epic name at an epic place. And again, the only comparison that I can make is Connor McNavid bursting through those four New York Rangers. The Lord burst through. God did it. No, Connor did it. No, God gave him those gifts. Lord burst through. So what's human nature? Human nature strategy says, okay, I face an enemy. I epically crush and destroy that enemy in my life. What am I going to do? Every single time something similar comes along, I'm going to do the exact same thing because obviously that's what I do. But that's not what David did. And this is what makes David a, God, a man after God's own heart. In verse 14, it says, And once again, David asked God what to do. Those same old enemies that he kicked out, that he defeated, they came back a few months later. In that place called Baal Perizim, where the Lord bursts through, where there was a miracle. But David doesn't say, I'm just going to do what I did last time. He goes, no, I'm going to ask the Lord what to do. You might be in a situation that looks really eerily familiar, and you're just tempted to go, I'm just going to handle it the way that I've always handled it. Can I just encourage you to take a moment and go to the Lord and say, God, what do you want me to do? This is what God said to David. Do not attack them straight on. Instead, circle behind and attack them near the poplar trees. And when you hear a sound like marching feet in the tops of the poplar trees, go out and attack. That will be the signal that God is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. He says, go and wait in the bushes over there on the side. And when you hear the wind rustling, you'll know that I go in front of you. I go before you. The reason why we recalibrate our plan is so that we can allow the Lord to go before us. Because he makes a way where there is no way. So David did what God commanded and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. 
ask for the strategy, but be open to change your approach, even if it always works. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? Number nine, be strong and courageous. Don't take my word for it. This is Joshua 1, verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The difference between wishing for something and believing for something is that you're actively inviting Jesus into your life. And by actively inviting him into your life, you're actually realigning your priorities with his priorities. When I wish for something, I'm doing whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. When I'm walking with Jesus, he's changing me on the way. So the thing that I thought I want could just be a tool to lead me and open me up to what he actually has planned for me. So you see that thing that you're hoping for or the thing that you're believing for, the thing that you're wishing for may not actually be the thing that you need right now. Number 10, surrender, surrender, surrender. Let me circle back to those first couple of verses that we read. Psalm 37, five says, commit. And I just circled that in my Bible. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. Proverbs 16, verse three, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Your plans will succeed. He may realign you. He may realign your plan. He may realign your heart, your thoughts, your intentions. We surrender, we surrender, we surrender, we surrender. We find our place daily. We find ourselves daily surrendered. He will make clear the way that we should go. And we stand together. Why don't you close your eyes all across this place? This is just a bit of a personal moment. If you're here today and you're trying to make some decisions or you're wrestling or you're believing for something, you're holding on to hope, or maybe you're trying to find your way forward or way ahead and you don't know which way to go. And this is just really resonating with you because you're just like, man, I've got so many more questions than I have answers. Can I tell you, my friends, that it's not a mistake that I'm here. It's not a mistake that I'm sharing these things. And it's not a mistake that God is speaking directly into your situation. But what this is, is an invitation to relationship. And I guess it culminates in a question, how much of my life do I give Jesus access to? So if you are believing for something, if you need an answer to something, if you're wrestling with something, I'm gonna invite you to do this 
simple action. I'm going to invite you to lift your hands and you can either lift them straight up or you can put them out in front of you like you're going to receive a gift, however you feel comfortable. But the reason why we're doing this is because we are opening ourselves up. When we lift our hands, when a worship leader says, let's lift our hands, lifting our hands is the universal sign of surrender. Put them up. It's exposure. It exposes all of our organs, our center mass. It says, go, listen, I'm not going to fight you. So we do that today in the presence of Jesus. We expose ourselves. We expose our hopes, our dreams, our desires. There's hands all across the room. And we invite Jesus into this situation. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't... Waiting for a response from Jesus doesn't, doesn't deny your smarts or your logic. It shows that you're surrendered and it actually amplifies your smarts and logic because you say, I would rather wait for the creator of the universe than move ahead with my plan. So Jesus, I thank you that you're here right now. Right here in the midst of our dreams and ideas. Right here in the midst of our brokenness. Right here in the midst of our success. You are right here, right now. And I ask that you would meet us here right now. And for anyone who's got a hand up or a hand out, I would ask that you would start to... In your own words, invite Jesus into your situation. Invite him into your decision-making process. You don't have to say it out loud. You can whisper it. However that needs to work for you. Just right now, don't let this moment pass. Say, Jesus, I invite you and I need your wisdom and guidance on this. I need this. I need this. Jesus, I invite you in. I invite you in. Sorry for trying to handle this on my own. So many of us feel like we have to prove to Jesus that we're, that we could do it, that we're strong enough, that we're tough enough. You don't have to prove anything to him. He already loves you. He's already proud of you. The second thing is this, in this atmosphere of surrender, you might be here today and you have not ever invited Jesus into your life. You've maybe heard about God or maybe you're just here because you just saw something on the internet and you said, you know what, I'm looking for answers. If you're here today and you would like to invite Jesus into your life, you'd like to start that relationship with him. And I'm gonna count down from three. And if that's you, you wanna make that choice. You wanna make that decision for the first time. Or maybe you've walked away from faith and you want to come home and say, Jesus, I went my own way, but now I want to give my heart to you fully. I'm going to count down from three. When I get to one, if that's you, I just want you to give me a real quick wave and say, yeah, I want to start that journey with Jesus. If that's you. Give me a wave in three, two, one. Quick wave, quick wave, quick wave. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anyone else? Quick wave, quick wave, quick wave. Okay, church, we're going to 
pray this prayer together and we're going to pray it like a family because that's what we are. I want you to just repeat after me. We say, Dear Jesus, I need you now more than ever. So I give you everything. My wins and my losses. My sins and my successes. They're all yours. From this moment forward, I'm following you one step at a time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspired you. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.